I am super excited about uh, this particular text of Scripture this morning as we continue on in the book of John. It is... Uh, it's arguably some of the most famous words in the New Testament in John chapter 15. What we're going to talk about today really is a, a series of sermons, six, eight sermons long, um, as we go through the Gospel of John. I, I could have done that. I mean, we could have spent six weeks on it, but um, what we see here in John 15 is some of the last-minute instructions in this, which is called Jesus' Farewell Discourse. A discourse is a, a lengthy sermon, obviously, and the book of John is is filled with um, several of these discourses. Um, the Upper Room Discourse, now we get to the Farewell Discourse, um, the Olivet Discourse. But this, this particular Farewell Discourse is, is almost like last-minute instructions on the way to Gethsemane. And I just want to read the text to you to start out. And I, honestly, of all the New Testament passages of Scripture, this one has always been the one that has screamed at me the loudest about my personal walk with Jesus Christ. So I pray that that comes through and conveys to you this morning. John 15 beginning in verse 1, the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. This text is so rich. It's one of the most meaningful and deep analogies that Jesus gives us as far as life in him and life in Christ and what it means 
what he really does here is he lays out an important analogy for the lives of those people that would choose to follow him. I've called this title, this message, Behaving Like a Branch. There's roles that Jesus lays out here. He, he says first that, uh, that there's somebody who is the vine, and that person is him. Now we're talking about a, a grapevine here. So, two summers ago, I decided that I was going to plant a, a grapevine in my backyard. And I've learned a lot of, it seems like the grapevine is has done very little, but I've learned a lot about what it means to grow a grapevine and that the first two years of nothing are actually a lot of something. Um, so I planted this grapevine in my backyard and it started, to, you know, we obviously bought it in a pot and it was this, this little ugly looking, almost stick-like thing that came up out of the ground. That was the vine and there were two just little tiny green shoots coming off of it. And I thought to myself, there is no way that this thing is going to turn into what I imagine in my mind a grapevine to look like. You know, I'm going to, and, and here I was, I put this thing in the ground. It had the two little green shoots. And you can ask my wife, I, I bought some, some small PVC piping and started to put together a trellis type thing so that we could direct it. And, 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 and the, the vine was this tall and the trellis was this big, you know, and I'm just thinking, surely, uh, I'm going to screw this up. But yet, uh, immediately, I put it in the ground and watered it and added a little bit of nourishment and, to the soil, and the vine began growing like crazy. The vine, that little thing, just began pumping out nourishment, and more shoots started showing up and more branches, and it, it just went crazy, crazy. I mean, by the end of that first summer, it had taken up the entire first trellis that I had built. And now my mind is like, whoa, I didn't plan big enough. There's got to be something bigger for this thing. Um, but no grapes. And then the second summer comes and goes, and the vine takes off and grows like crazy even more, and the branches are going all over the place, and I'm trying to direct this thing, and, and no grapes. Like, am I doing something wrong? And then I realized, if, if you've never grown a grape, you, you don't get grapes the first two years. It's not until the third year that you begin to see fruit. That's the job of the branches, is to mature and produce fruit based upon the nourishment of the vine. Jesus says, I'm the vine. I provide the nourishment. He says there's another, there's a vine dresser. That was my job at this particular point in time. My job was to make sure that the, the branches were cared for, that the vine was, was, uh, was directed properly. My job was to make sure that everything was in place. Now, you know why I planted that vine? I didn't, I didn't plant the vine for some sort of secrecy or cover for my neighbors. I didn't plant the vine so that it would just look pretty. I planted the vine... I planted the vine because as the vine dresser, I wanted fruit. And that's why God has directed us as branches to produce fruit. We think we exist for many different things, but fruit is a big part of it. So the vine dresser is the father, and, and his job is getting the most fruit out of the vine and its branches. 
And then there are the branches, which is us. The branches in this analogy are the disciples of Christ. The branch's job is to produce fruit. So with that foundation laid, what I want to give you today are, from quickly from this text, what Jesus says are three ways for us to behave like a branch. He speaks very specifically to the branches and what they're to be about. And the first thing is this. How do you behave like a branch? Point one. Allow kingdom fruit to be one key measure of your life. Allow kingdom fruit to be one key measure of your life. We don't like to talk about fruit that much. We don't like to evaluate or measure ourselves as Christians that much because we think, you know, well, we're, we're saved by grace. We operate, in a, we operate in a life of grace, a lifestyle of grace. You know, Jesus wants us to be pleased with ourselves. Jesus wants us to be pleased with our environment. Jesus wants us to be happy. And the reality is that it's very clear from this text, as his, some of his final instructions, that one of the most important things you need to do is to evaluate yourself based upon the fruit that you are producing as a believer. Not personal fruit, but kingdom fruit. Uh, we can, I can, I'm a, I mean, I'm a talented guy. I mean, I got gifts just like all of you. I mean, I can, I can generate a lot of really, uh, short-sighted kind of, uh, awkward tasting, maybe not so appetizing fruit. And I can point to it and say, see, I made that. Look at that. That's not the fruit that Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about the fruit that is nourished and produced based upon the vine. Okay? So the vine is going to produce what kind of fruit? Kingdom fruit. Jesus isn't going to produce fruit through you and I as branches that are going to be uh, useless for the kingdom of God. He's going to produce fruit in us that's going to have kingdom significance. He's incapable of doing anything else. So with that said... What kind of fruit are we talking about? I'm going to give you some ideas here. So we're going to spend a good bit of the time today, this idea of fruit. If you look at your life, basically there's two kinds of fruit that you'll notice as a believer. First is inner fruit. Inner fruit. What is the inner fruit? Well, simply put, inner fruit is that which the Holy Spirit produces within you. Let's look at Galatians 5.22. Paul talks about this when he said, but the fruit, there it is, of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So what Paul is saying there is the grace that Christ gives you produces a fruit that there is no law against. Inside of you is produced this fruit. Every believer in this room who is a follower of Jesus Christ, who has been born again, who is connected to the vine, who is receiving the nourishment of Jesus Christ in their life, is to be producing this kind of fruit. It's there. What does it look like in your life? We should be seeing these things in our life as we grow in Christ. You should be seeing more love. You should be seeing more long-suffering. More faithfulness and gentleness towards other people. Gentleness in respect to how you handle yourself in the kingdom of God. Inner fruit. Be looking for it. But then there's also outer fruit in our life that the Lord is looking 
for the branch to produce as well. The goal of Jesus is to see inner fruit developed and then a, the inner fruit is, plays a significant role in the development of outer fruit. What are outer fruit? What's outer fruit? Well, this is a whole sermon in and of itself, but simply put, outer fruit is good works. Good works. Kingdom works. Things that are going to impact other people, impact your church body, impact evangelistically the lost world for the sake of Christ. Titus 3.14 Paul tells his protege Titus, he says this, about the church, he says, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. Why? So as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. He makes this, he ties it together so clearly. Good works, outward workings of good works produced by you, fruit. If that's not happening, then you are seen as unfruitful. So as I stand up here before you this morning, I'm not chastising, and this is just the work that God's doing in me as well, but it's okay. I'm giving you permission as Christians. I know we live in a, a cushion of grace that we all love to tout so dearly as believers, but it's okay every now and then to look at the outward expression of your life and say, is there fruit? And what does that fruit look like? And is it a fruit that's based upon the inner fruit? Or is it something that I'm manufacturing in my own strength? Take faithfulness, for example. That's one of the inner fruit. As the Holy Spirit fills you, you are to be a more empowered by the Holy Spirit. You become more faithful. Faithful inwardly is going to produce fruit outwardly as a result of that faithfulness. It may simply be the expression, something in your life outwardly that is occurring that is a result of increased faithfulness internally. Sometimes it's simply saying, I don't know how this is going to happen, God. I don't know how I could manufacture this particular outward working on my own, but by faith in the Holy Spirit that is indwelling me, I believe that you can do and produce this fruit in my life. You make yourself available because of inward faithfulness. And the result is that the vine nourishes and produces an outward fruit through the branch. This is making sense. Um, they're, They're tied together intimately. But Jesus, so inner fruit, outer fruit, but Jesus gives us a picture here of a branch measuring four different levels of fruit. You may not have noticed it in the text, but let me pull it out to you. He uses four different references to fruit abundance here. So, what that means is, based upon what level of fruit you're producing, the vine dresser is going to do something as a result of your fruit production. So, the smarter we are, and the more mature we are and wise we are with regards to our lives in Christ, we'll understand more about why God is doing what He's doing in our life if we understand where we are in regard to fruit production. That's what Jesus is telling us. So, as we go through, I ask the question of you. We're going to talk about four different fruit productions based upon the branch. 
Which branch are you right now? The first fruit production, Jesus says, is the one who produces no fruit. No fruit. On a vine, a branch typically produces no fruit out of either immaturity or hanging too low. I'm learning this. I told you immaturity. The first two years, the the vine was just not mature enough. The branches were not mature enough to produce fruit. Everything about them, all the nourishment was going towards creating a stable environment so that it could then sustain the fruit that was to come. But what happens is, the, the, the branches just sort of grow willy-nilly, and a lot of times, early on in the uh, production, the, the branches grow too low. They hang too low. And they get caught up in moisture. They get caught up in, in the filth. And they start to develop problems. Fungus, they start to develop a rot as they, the branches hang too low and they become unable to produce or sustain fruit. In our own lives, sometimes what happens is we remain caught up in things that behave like fungus, things that create rot in our life, preventing fruitful growth. These may be simple things like sinful behaviors in our life, They may be harmful relationships that we're involved in. They may be patterns of excess in our life that weigh the branch down and create rot, mildew, fungus. It may have something to do in our life with bitter attitudes or grudges that we're holding that weigh us down and keep us in a place of being unable to produce fruit. Now, what the vine dresser does for the branch that is connected to the vine that is producing little or no fruit for whatever reason, hanging too low, the vine dresser does is, Jesus said the vine dresser comes and he takes away. The better translation of this is the word arrow in Greek, and it means to lift up, to bear up, or to take up. When you understand what a vine dresser does, you'll understand the term that Jesus just used. If branches were hanging too low and they weren't producing fruit, you would think that the vine dresser would just go through and start hacking off those branches. Not the case. A vine dresser would come through and would use ties and props and things that would lift those branches up out of the moisture, out of the rot, out of the stuff that was preventing fruit production. They would, he would then gently and lovingly take those un, non-producing branches and lift them up himself, prop them up himself until they were strong enough and stable enough and they would begin producing fruit. This is what our Heavenly Father does. In our life, when you are mired down in sin, when I am rotting instead of producing fruit, rather than throwing me away, the Father's job, He comes in and He does things in our life that lift us up out of the rot and helps us to become more productive. That's when Jesus said, the Father takes away. What He's really saying is, the Father lifts up, the Father takes up. 
the image is of a vine dresser lifting the branch up out of the rot. I don't know about you, but I've experienced this personally. And as hard as it is, and as humbling as it is, it's also incredibly freeing and so full of grace what the Father would do. How much easier it would seem to just throw that branch away, to rip it off, to cut it off, and be done with it, yet God is not in that business. If you are in Christ, if you are in the vine, you're never done with the Heavenly Father. This is scripturally seen in the the discipline of our own lives. If you look at Hebrews 12, beginning in verse 5, the writer of Hebrews refers to this when he says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him. For the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who have disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. What God does in lifting up those branches is the form of discipline in our lives to move us from unfruitfulness to fruitfulness, to get us to a place of fruitfulness in righteousness. And the reason He does it is because we are children. He does this because He loves us. He does this because He disciplines us because we are important to Him. Just like an earthly father who would not discipline his children who are doing something wrong or who are harming themselves would be a terrible father. So the heavenly father is that much better. He's even more attentive. And while an earthly father may discipline for the short term, it's your heavenly father who is in your life and in my life for the duration to discipline. An 85-year-old can be disciplined just as easily by his Heavenly Father and spanked as an 18-year-old. Many times they both have it coming. Why? Because they're not producing fruit. Not the fruit that the vine dresser is looking for. This is why it's dangerous when a senior adult might say, you know, oh, I've done my thing. I've run my course. You know, I, I've, I've had that season of my life. It's not my place to serve here to do this or to do that anymore. Because all you're doing is you are pulling yourself off the shelf and making yourself unavailable. And the, the father is not done disciplining. And he could very well discipline you again, even at the elderly age, in order to produce what he wants out of you. Discipline is at least uncomfortable and usually painful, if we're all being honest in the room. Nobody likes it in the immediate. It is usually uncomfortable and almost always painful. 
But yet, as C.S. Lewis says, quote, God whispers through pleasure, but shouts through pain. A lot of times in the pleasure of our lives, we hear the whisper of the Lord. You want to hear the Lord's voice loud and clear? Go under discipline. You'll hear Him clearly. So that's the person who produces no fruit. That's the branch that's producing no fruit. But then the second sort of basket or level of fruitfulness or fruitiness or whatever you want to call it, um, Jesus says, so you move from no fruit to then there's the person who's just producing fruit. That's God's, God desires to move you from fruitlessness to fruit bearing. Simply put, and I won't spend a lot of time on this, this is the result of lifted obedient maturity. Eventually, what you want to begin to see in a a believer's life is where they're producing something. You know you're on the right track when you're starting to see fruit. But God doesn't just stop there. His goal isn't just move you from no fruit to fruit. Jesus gets even more detailed. You catch this. He says here, some fruit isn't enough. The Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ Himself desire to move us from just producing fruit to producing more fruit. He wants branches that aren't just going to produce fruit, but produce more fruit. And here's what that looks like. This is a result of God not being satisfied with, quote, some fruit. He's looking for more. If you were to hang out in a vineyard, you would notice that the vine dresser goes through the vineyard with a sheath or machete in hand. And what he's doing is, you'd see this, and it seems so counterintuitive at first, but he's lovingly looking at the vine and he's looking at the branches and he's looking at the fruit that the branches are producing. And when he's going through, he's, he's nipping and cutting at the branches that aren't, not completely severing off, but he's nipping and he's cutting away at the branches that are, that are producing fruit. But if you paid close attention, you would have to look at the fruit that it was producing to understand why he's doing what he's doing. Once God identifies a branch that's producing some fruit, he just doesn't settle for some fruit. He doesn't want any sort of weak, teeny tiny grapes. God's looking for large clusters out of your life. He's looking for large, tasty grapes. And sometimes what that means is He's going to go into life and He's going to cut away things in your life in order to enable bigger clusters, more kingdom fruit. We call this pruning. So, Satisfaction with small clusters and small grapes is the enemy in your life of more fruit, larger grapes, bigger clusters, more productivity. Let me say that again. Satisfaction with small fruit in your life is the enemy of what God desires to see, which is large fruit, productive fruit, and more fruit. We look at our life and we say, you know, well, I'm doing some stuff for God. I mean, I've arrived. I've checked a couple of these things off. I've produced a couple of things here. I'm good to go. That's not God's intent for your life or my life. He wants more. And if we're being honest in this room, as long as you're on this earth and you belong to Jesus Christ, 
God is always going to want more out of your life. More fruit is accomplished through pruning. Bruce Wilkinson um, put it this way. He said, Disciplining is about sin. That's the first thing we talked about. Pruning is about self. God is, is looking at yourself. He's looking at your personal life and He's saying, now, how can I get more out of this person? Now that may be bad news to some of you. But as you mature, I pray it would be good news. God doesn't just want you to be satisfied with who you are. God wants you to produce more. And it begs the question, the rhetorical question. I stand before you, and you may be saying in your heart, you may be asking this. Are you you telling me God might remove okay or good things in my life for the sake of more fruit? And I'm telling you, yes. When the vine dresser goes through, there's a lot of green stuff that he prunes in order to see more come as a result in fruitfulness. For the purpose of more fruit, God will remove those things in your life that He sees fit, that you deem okay or good. God may cut them out. Perhaps it's the satisfaction in a ministry you've been doing for a long time. You love that ministry. It means everything to you. It's routine. It's rote. It's comfortable. I come. I do my thing. I love it so much. And all of a sudden you wake up one day and God snatches it away from you. Why? Maybe because it's been a long time since you've exercised faithfulness. Perhaps it's the contentment found in simply finishing your career and retiring. Perhaps it's uh, the safety of certain relationships that you've had forever. Maybe, Maybe God needs to snatch that relationship away because... The identity of fruitfulness and faithfulness has always been found in the person that you've associated with. And you've never had an opportunity to step out and be the one who exercises the faith. To be the one that does the courageous things for God. To be the one that leads in the fruit production. Or maybe that nice person is just dragging you down. Perhaps it's an income source that you've always had. It's always stable. It's good. You know, that job, that career. God has given me this. It's a green thing. It's good. I could always count on it. And one day you wake up and it's gone. So, how do, how do we engage in this? You know, when God begins to do these things, what does it, what does it look like? I think it starts with attitude. Let me read to you Psalm 66, verses 10 to 12. The psalmist says, For you, O God, have tested us. You've tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. Yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. This attitude is manifested in Paul's words that we all know so well in Philippians 3. Paul said, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish 
in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul's saying there that the stuff that's good in my life, I count as loss. Why? Because I want to, by faith, know more of Him. By faith, I want to know more of the resurrection. Maybe God removes some things that are in our life that are green and good because we've not shared in His sufferings in a while. How many of us in this room could say with any certainty that in recent days, weeks, maybe even years, we could point to something that said, I've shared in the sufferings of Christ here. By faith, I've undertaken this painful thing here, this uncomfortable thing here. In it, I've been able to identify more with the vine because of this in my life. Or are the green good things that we become so accustomed to, so clingy to, so comfortable with, have prevented more fruit because we're not trusting in the vine anymore. God's going to do those things to force you to receive more nourishment and lean in closer to the vine. See, when pruning happens, and I'm, I don't claim to be an expert vine dresser, but I've read a lot of stuff, and I'll refer to a few of the books at the end of this sermon. I've learned some things. Pruning forces the branch to work harder in its source of nourishment. So we become comfortable in the things that we've received from God instead of learning to trust faithfully in God. There's a difference. Now he's not done. God wants to move the person from no fruit to fruit. And then he wants to move the person from fruit, and he does that with discipline. Then he wants to move the person from fruit to more fruit. And he oftentimes does that uh, through pruning. But then in verses 5 and 8, Jesus uses yet another term for the abundance. He says, I'm looking for much fruit. Not just fruit, and not more fruit. But your Heavenly Father in your life wants much fruit. Now, when I was doing this this week, and this was revealed to me, I took pause here. Because I like to look at my life and think, I've done some good stuff for Jesus. And it was a good reminder to me, and a bit terrifying, to think that God is looking for much. What I've done is still not enough. And I'm not saying enough in regards to pleasing God or earning anything from Him. I'm talking about what the Lord feels He can produce out of my life. Maybe, maybe I've not even scratched the surface yet. And maybe you need to ask that question of yourself this morning. Maybe there's a lot of good things that you cling to, a lot of routine things about your life that you're comfortable with, and I'm just asking the question, which branch are you? Because I feel this is me. I'm between more and much. 
There's more. There's another place God wants to take me to. And the word here that Jesus refers to that describes the person who produces much fruit is this word abide. Let me read the two verses again. Verse 5, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. And again again in verse 8, he said, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. You want to get to much fruit? It's going to require disciplined abiding. It's going to require a deep level of commitment to the vine. Which leads me to our next point. Point number two. One was allow kingdom fruit to be one key measure of your life. Point number two is this. What should a branch do? Focus on deepening your connection to Christ. Focus on deepening your connection to Christ. All throughout this narrative by our Lord and Savior is this phrase, abide in me. Some some translators use the word remain. It's the same thing. What it means is that in your life, you're staying connected deeply to the source of nourishment and life that is yours. And Jesus, all these things begin to pour into your mind. I mean, you can just start taking all these New Testament phrases that Christ has given us. I am the bread of life. I am the living water. Everything about Jesus that He communicated to us was that He was our source of life. He was every bit of nourishment that we needed in order to not only receive eternal life, but maybe what Jesus was also saying was, I am everything that you need in order to be fruitful for me. You don't need the approval of somebody. You don't need uh, an X amount of money. What you need is simply to abide in me, remain in me, trust in me. Put all your eggs, that Jesus basket, put it in Him, His basket. That's all that we need. Fruit is a measure. Fruit is what we measure. Abiding is the action that Jesus gives us. We measure by fruit. Unfortunately, what we think as Christians is fruit is our action. Not true. When uh, I had a friend that when we planted this church, he, he said to me, he said, I, I'd be really excited to see, a ch-. he was a, the outside looking in, he wasn't part of this, but he was a support in this church starting. And he said to me, I really, really just look forward to you planting a church that focuses on faithfulness instead of fruitfulness. And what he meant by that was, don't get caught up in worrying about making fruit happen. As disciples, our job is to abide. God brings about the fruitfulness. If we are an abiding people, if we're doing the things that Jesus expects of us, if we're drawing in close to Him, the fruit will happen Because we can't manufacture lasting kingdom fruit on our own. Our job is simply to abide. 
So important is this concept to Jesus and John that the word abide, meno, occurs 11 times in this chapter and some 47 times in John's biblical teachings between the Gospel of John and the Epistles of John. 47 times John refers to Jesus' teachings on abiding. Meno. Abiding, what does it mean? What does it involve? Abiding involves focusing on Christ and lifting, you know, that discipline may result. But much fruit is the end goal. And Jesus says glorification of the Father is the end goal. So as we produce fruit, we become fruitier. Some of you are already pretty fruity. As you become fruitier, the Father is glorified in that. And, and the vine dresser is pleased. The vine is pleased. And the branches are pleased, pleased to see the Father glorified. And then he says this, and we saw it in verse 8, proving, why, why do we abide? And what happens as a result of abiding? He says, proving yourself to the world as Jesus' disciple is one of the end goals. Producing fruit that lasts, glorifying the Father, and proving to the world that you are a disciple of Christ. These are the three things that he says results out of abiding in Him. So I'd be a horrible teacher if I didn't ask the question, how do you abide? What are some, I'm a practical guy. So what are some of the practical ways a person abides in Christ. I think first and foremost is if you want to remain in somebody, if you want to abide in somebody, you want to be deeply connected to somebody, it's going to involve an investment of time. Absolutely. You have to invest time with Him. And you do this through His Word. In 1 John 2.24, the Apostle says this, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. That's a, that's a cool statement right there. It's like drawing a circle. He's saying the words that abide in you from the beginning, what's he talking about? He's talking about the truth of the Gospel, that which was shared with the disciples from the beginning. The reality of who Jesus Christ is and His teachings. If you allow these things to abide in you, then you will in turn be abiding in the Son and in the Father. So you want to abide closer, walk closer with Christ, maintain a closer connection with Him. It starts with abiding in the Word and allowing the Word to abide in you. That's great. How do you abide in the Word? You connect yourself with the Word of God. You immerse yourself in it. You, you literally douse yourself in the Word of God. You prioritize it. But then God makes a promise. He said, then the Word of God abides in you. If you immerse yourself in the Word of God, you receive your nourishment from the Word of God, then God's Word will remain, will connect itself to you. It's such an organic, beautiful picture of what life in Christ looks like. And I'm just telling you, I... I've experienced this. There's nothing else like it. So invest time in Him and in His Word. The other thing you do, if you want to maintain a close, connected relationship with somebody, do you give them the cold shoulder every hour and every day? No. 
You communicate with them. You maintain healthy communication with them. This isn't rocket science. What does that mean? How do you communicate with the living God? Pray. Spend time in prayer. Structured prayer. Organized prayer. Maybe disorganized prayer. Maybe prayer of desperation. Maybe prayer of praise and thanksgiving. But whatever it is, include Christ in on every aspect of your life through prayer. Out loud prayer, leading in prayer, group prayer, silent prayer, personal prayer, bedtime prayer, family devotion prayer. I don't care what it is, but include Christ in on it. The other thing I put here in in the charismatic world that we live in, I think it's important to signify this. You want to walk closer with Christ? Avoid feelings and emotions-based religion. See, here's the deal. We have a lot of religions out there, that a lot of Christian denominations that are based on emotion and feeling. We call those charismatic churches. The danger in that is that your relationship is always dependent upon the emotion of the moment. Jesus loves me more today because I felt more in the service today. Jesus loves me more because I exhibit these particular gifts. I'm more productive, I'm better for Christ because I can do this, I can speak in this tongue, or because I can prophesy over this person, or because somebody's laid their holy hands on me. And the reality is that your relationship with Christ is not dependent upon any of those things. Your relationship with Christ is dependent upon one thing, and that is His loving grace towards you. That's it. So we can, the reason I bring this up is because it's easy to begin to feel disconnected from the vine as a result of the way you feel personally. Avoid feelings. God gave us feelings, I get that. They serve a purpose. But not with regard to your well-being in Christ. You're good simply because Christ is good. Now, obey. That's another way we abide. Jesus referred to it here as that those who are abiding in me keep my commands. I, I can't make it any clearer. I know that we live in a world, a bubble of grace. I keep coming back to that. You know, hey, we're a grace-filled church. We're a grace-filled denomination. We even name our churches Grace Church and all this kind of stuff, and that's great. But the reality is that Christ did have expectations for us. He wanted us to obey His commands. He wanted us to remain in His Word. He wanted us to live it out. If the Holy Spirit directs you, if the Word of God directs you, do it. Because out of that will come fruitfulness, and out of that will come a closer, more intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. And sometimes His his commands are going to be uncomfortable. You're not going to want to do them. Do it anyway. And watch the blessing and pleasure that comes of now having a closer relationship with Christ. And the nourishment that comes from the vine as you abide, Jesus says, looks like this. Contentment, answered prayers, and personal peace. I'll take those three any day. Contentment, answered prayers, and personal peace. Maybe you're here this morning, you're lacking all three of those things. I don't know. Maybe you're trying to find contentment in somebody else and how they feel about you. Maybe your personal peace is wrapped up in uh, day-to-day status and emotional well-being. 
Christ says, abide in me and watch how I fill those gaps with myself. Lastly, this morning, the third way we behave like a branch. Seek ongoing love towards your brothers and sisters. Seek ongoing love towards your brothers and sisters. At the end of this, he says in verse 16, You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. And then in verse 17, he says, These things I command you, so that you will love one another. He's looking at these beloved followers of his. They have been so interwoven into his life for the past three years. This was what would be the church staring him in the face. And his words to them as a result of abiding in him is that so that you may love one another. Show me a church that does well at loving one another and I'll show you a really healthy church. There's not a critical spirit. There's not seeing a a malicious intent around every corner. There's a a patience and a belief. There's an ability to discipline and love at the same time. It's clear that the emphasis of the last part of our text today is love. It's clear in all of John's Apostolic writings, love, 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 love. If Jesus left an impression on the disciples and we could categorize what the, maybe for Peter it was redemption, I'll tell you that the greatest impression Christ left on John was love. Love. Jesus again commands us to love one another. He says we're his friends if we love one another. What does that make us if we're choosing to not love one another? scared to even go there at that prospect. If you are unwillingly and unrepentantly choosing to not love, but rather remain judgmental and critical and distant from somebody in the body of Christ, a brother and sister, according to that, Christ says that you are not a friend of His. Yikes. And He says when we love one another, He calls it fruit. We do it because He commands us. We do it because He loved us first. And we do it because it's noticeable fruit. Abiding in Christ means one must love his brothers and sisters. Here's just being honest in the idea of loving one another. We see this, I'm afraid that, not this church, I'm just speaking to the church in general today. We see this as optional, really. I'll get around to loving those people, but i got a priority here under my roof. Like, I guess what I'm saying is we can avoid love or we can fake relationships in the church because we always feel like we can go home to our real loving family relationships. And I've read enough of the New Testament to know that Jesus in no way relates your familial blood relationships as being the true family. He even said about his own brothers and sisters and his own mother, when they came and they were beating down the door, Jesus was teaching and healing and they're beating down the door and somebody comes in and says, hey, your mother and your brothers are outside. They want to talk to you. Rather than stopping what he was doing ministry-wise and going and attending to his mother for crying out loud. And we, he said, oh, and he pointed to everybody who was 
following him at that point in time, and he said, here is my mother. Here are my brothers and sisters. Uh, My own blood family has not always had my best interests at heart. And as a growing man, there were many times where my mom and dad, they knew the Lord, they loved the Lord, but they did not have Christ's best interests at heart for my life at that point in time. And I had to rebuke them in a loving way and say, no, this is what God wants of me. Or no, this is the way I need to behave because this is Christ's expectation. And then go to my church family and receive the support and encouragement that I needed, the love that I needed. Um, remember the power of Jesus' statement as we close here with this. After he washed their feet in John 13, 35, let me read this to you one more time. He said to his disciples, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What does fruit that lasts look like? Well, one of those pieces of fruit certainly looks like a love towards your brothers and sisters in Christ. A prioritizing of your church family. A prioritizing of your brothers and sisters in Christ. So I come back to that question again just to ask this morning. Which branch are you? Are you producing fruit? What does a fruit look like? Is it teeny tiny, kind of withering quickly on the vine? Is it more fruit? Have you experienced the discipline? Are you open to the discipline? Are you abiding at such a level now where you are producing much fruit? And how's that abiding relationship look like between you and Christ? And maybe there's a very scary reference in here. A lot of theologians get bogged down in the minutia of this text and they say, you know, well, um, he, he talks in here about branches that aren't connected to him and that the vine dresser gathers them up and throws them in the fire. That's pretty clear to me. Who is the person that's going to hell? Is the person that's not connected to the vine. The person that's not connected to Jesus Christ. You could be a rogue branch. Maybe you fell off of another vine somewhere. Uh, but the truth of the matter is that as long as you are in the Jesus vine, you are lifted up, you are disciplined, you are nourished. And God's goal is to get more and more fruit out of you. If you're a rogue branch, not connected to the vine called Jesus Christ, the vine dresser will go through and he will collect those branches and they will wither and they'll die and they'll be thrown in the fire to burn. This is a hell analogy. So you're either the vine, the branch that's connected to the true vine or you're a branch that's connected to the true vine producing more and more fruit. Which are you this morning? Now, there's another lovely image about the grafting in that happens. There's a, there's a, uh, and, and, and we can get into a debate, you know, Israel and all this sort of stuff. But what God does is He makes us adopted children of His. He draws us into part. So once you connect to the vine of Jesus Christ and you begin to produce fruit, you are there forever, permanently. You can't have something torn away that you didn't earn in the first place. God grafts us in as adopted children of His. Which are you? I'm going to pray 
for us this morning with regard to that. But before I close, I want to give you just a few references if you want to write these down, if you want to do a little more homework, a little more reading with regard to the vine and the branches. Like I said, this is one of my favorite texts of Scripture. I've done a lot of reading on this. Um, My first and most favorite book is a book by a guy named Robert Scott Steiner, and it's called uh, Lessons from a Venetian Vine Dresser. This is a man who went and... uh, for a year, lived in Italy on a little tiny vineyard with a, a little tiny family that, that managed their own vineyard. And he took copious notes and paid such close attention to what job a vine dresser really does and how a vine grows and how the branches you know, produce as a result. And he wrote this down and he, went, he built together this beautiful analogy of what Christ is talking about here. My favorite book on this text. There's another book uh, called um, The Secrets of the Vine by Bruce Wilkinson. It's a little tiny book. Maybe some of you have read The Prayer of Jabez, if you've ever read that book. It's about the same size book, same author. Secrets of the Vine, he goes through this text. And then there's a book called um, The Vine and the Trellis. It's more about the church as a whole, corporately, uh, and how we can look more uh, fruity for Christ. It's by two authors, last names Marshall and Payne. It's really good as well. So I give those to you as a resource. I'm going to close in prayer and just ask that um, God might reveal to our hearts how we can either connect with the vine, abide more in the vine, and as a result, see more fruit in our life. Let's pray. Thank you this morning, Lord, for your word and the truth that it holds for us. Thank you for the fact that you do not leave us as orphans, but that you've drawn us to yourself and you've um, connected us to the vine and that we receive eternal nourishment from you, Jesus, our vine. My first prayer today, Lord, is if there are any rogue or disjointed branches here, they're looking for purpose in their life, they're looking for some form of nourishment, and they're just withering. God, I pray that you would touch their hearts. Show them their need for Christ. Your word says that we're all sinners. We all fall short of God's standard. And yet, Jesus went to the cross to take the punishment for that. He became our sins so that we could receive righteousness. That's the Easter story. What How amazing is that? If there's anybody here, Lord, that they've never trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of their sin and and allowed Him to be the Lord and Savior of their life and receive that hope and assurance of eternal life, that they would quietly in their heart today call out to You. And I pray for the rest of us, Father, who maybe we are connected to You, the vine, but we need to do a better job of abiding of walking in You, trusting in You by faith. We need to do a better job of um, measuring our lives based upon kingdom fruit instead of personal comfort. Show us a more excellent way to live that reflects Christ, that we do a better job of loving one another, and that the world would see our fruits and know that we belong to You. I thank You in advance for what You're going to do, Father. Thank you for this body of people.
that's so committed to you and loves you. I pray that you continue to grow us in depth and width that we may reach more for the gospel of Christ. Now we give to you our offerings. I pray you use these resources just to glorify yourself. We give in the name of Jesus. Amen.